On this episode, we discuss how Twitter was hacked and why there's concerns about Twitter's security. Microsoft discontinues several Xbox Ones and a Gold Pass option. James Webb now has a date for launch. And there's holodeck controls in a California park. This and more in this week's show. I'm Chris from Play Comics, a show where we look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material, a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other astonishingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. I am Steven John Drew, and with me, of course, is Chris Farrell. Howdy, internets. I'm also pleased to say that he decided to drop by this week. SP's here. I almost didn't. And that was an honest-to-goodness decision that I made, which was to try to make it if I could versus not making it. By the way, our listeners should check out our show on either Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and leave us a review. We would really appreciate that. That would be great. I appreciate you appreciating them. Appreciate you. So uh, last week I uh, I did a thing. I did a thing and I bought a new computer. So I got a new computer last week. And uh, long story short, it would of course be that I ended up with either a faulty motherboard or a faulty processor. And uh, it was very frustrating to diagnose because I went through everything else that was testable RAM. Like I even swapped out the RAM. I did the power supply thing. Like, and after a couple different aggravating days i finally called them and i'm like hey question for you can i pay a little bit extra to totally switch the motherboard and the process and they're like yeah you're within the return policy i agree i think that's probably the best thing to do so um the weird thing was like last week we did this show on my new hardware no problem at all no no problem the old new hardware the the, yeah so so the original new the original new hardware and I edited uh, better podcasting with it. And I did lots of other things. And it was randomly crashing when nothing was happening. I would be like browsing a website, streaming Netflix. Like it was when- porn. <laughs> yeah. No, no, seriously. It was like when nothing was happening. And the day that I actually called them, the only thing that I had up at the time was their website. Porn. To, 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 uh, in addition to that, I had their website. But no, and I did a bunch of reinstalls. I swapped the, ma- the RAM. So anyways, obviously it was one of the two. And uh, because like the intermittent nature of it, where it was like super stable for a while and then not. Um, yeah, they, they agreed. And so uh, luckily I, uh, I seem to ha- be going okay now, but I don't know. I... I have a suspicion it was the motherboard, but whatever. I paid not too much more to switch the motherboard and processor. I was going to ask you if you'd heard back from them on which one it was. No, they probably just sent it back to the companies. I'm going to yeah, guess. They just wrote it off and said, here, give us our money back for defective hardware. They probably so they yeah. don't care which one. That's Through this guess. entire process to fool your wife into actually getting the better motherboard and CPU. Okay, so here's the deal. I went with the... Uh, the 3900X, the Ryzen 3900X, and I switched to the 3900XT, which technically is better, but by all reviews that I see, don't buy it. Don't buy it unless you're in my situation because it is not like very, very minimal increase in like specific games. And luckily for me, the pricing that I had got on the 3900X and the the pricing I got on the 3900XT, which was like, stupidly cheap on Amazon for some reason, which they price matched, uh, was not that much of a difference. However, it's like most people, even though the retail price is the same for the two processors, AMD is really screwed up here. They, a lot of the vendors are selling them like a hundred dollar difference between the two and the benchmarks. Like you look, there's like all benchmarks are saying there's virtually no difference in most applications. So while I paid extra and gladly paid extra to get this issue solved, uh, yeah, it's not that situation at all because there's really not 
any benefit. In fact, I'm down, I'm down a stock CPU cooler that was going to sit there doing nothing. So it's good that you got the episode out last week, by the way, because we received some feedback from listener Sean. So this was from last week, episode 338. And listener Sean told us this. For the record, Gunna Geek 338, comics should be read and played with along with any other collectibles. Just saying. Unquote. So he uh, basically was saying that Chris Farrell is king of the Gunna Geek show. I think that's what he was saying. He did. I mean, I did say something to that effect. That's the controversial aspect of CGC slab books. Yes, they're arguably more collectible if they're slabbed, but you can't read them. You can't touch them. And then this past week, we had this whole string of conversation with people doing collectibles with cards mm-hmm. and comics and stuff like that on our Discord server, which you can find at goodygeek.com slash Discord. Yes. Um, also, there was a bit of chatter over there about uh, Peacock and why I should have been jealous that Peacock isn't in <laughs> Canada. No. I, I, uh, I don't understand. You were totally so, jealous. It's this not. new streaming service. You want every streaming service out don't. there. You can't get it because it's not available in Canada yet. So for you want for, my account and a VPN? You can have it. <laughs> so for the listeners who aren't familiar with this or the viewers, Peacock is the NBC um, streaming platform. Universal, correct? NBC, yeah. Viacom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have, have either of you had a chance to oh. try it out yet? I installed it. I watched two episodes of Informative Murder Porn, as they call it on South Park, <laughs> i.e. Dateline NBC, um, just because I wanted to try it out. I, since I'm a Comcast cable subscriber, I get the premium version for free, which is normally like five bucks a month that's supposed to have limited ad support. I haven't run into any ads yet, but I, I've really just watched a couple episodes of Dateline because I was curious and went through the live TV to see how it worked. And I went, OK, I guess this is kind of cool but I don't really care about any of your extremely exclusives other than maybe brave new world because I had to read the book in high school and really enjoyed it. So Mm. there's nothing really drawing me in and it has the same problem you had with HBO max, no 4k, no Dolby Atmos, no HDR. Uh. There's no, there's no accounts in this one. Also HBO max at least had accounts. So you could have one for you, one for your wife, one for your kids. There's no multiple accounts. Nope. No multiple accounts. And oh, yeah, also not available on the Fire TV and the Roku. Just like HBO Max. This is the new trend is they don't like how those integrate and the desire to integrate it with the Roku and Amazon channels features. So they're ignoring, let's say, 60% of possible customers out there because Roku and Fire TV are the number one and number two streaming platforms for content. I have not tried it yet. However, I do have a use case. And the use case is I'm in the middle. I just started actually on the sci-fi.com website, which I don't even know if that's still up or not now that Peacock is uh, around. But I started watching season three of Timeless and I need to you know, finish that watch. I think it's only like eight <laughs> episodes or something like that. So that's my it's use. A hard watch. For, yeah, I know. I know. I, I I got through most of the first episode. I think all of the first episode, maybe into the second episode or something like that. So yeah, I need to finish that just for my completionism so that I can finish it and, and move on with life. And I've waited <laughs> this long. I think I could wait a little bit longer, but I think it is only going to be available on Peacock now because I think they're wrapping up that sci-fi.com site into Peacock, which is good because there was really nothing on sci-fi.com aside from Battlestar Galactica and Timeless. Which they've now moved BSG over to Peacock, if I remember correctly. That was one of the cert- one of the things they were touting. But it's weird because they launched with certain stuff that in the end of launch week, then they lost the rights to. really it it makes for a funny headline so it makes for a funny headline but here's here's where it's not as big a deal as the headline may indicate is peacock launched on july 15th for everyone it'd been in like an extended beta for comcast internet subscribers since like february or march i think so there were people that already been using this app had installed on their devices were watching things and then we're watching this content now that they've lost the rights to five days after the public launch 
Well, we look forward to you telling us all about the updates with Peacock. And uh, I'll make sure whenever you talk about it, I introduce you with a Peacock sound because I can do a good Peacock sound. I actually know what a Peacock sounds like. And I got a story. Really? I do. Really? I'm curious because I don't know what a Peacock sounds like. (laughs) Well, it's the one that I grew up with. There's your tease. Uh, Sounds a little bit like your sister or your brother. It it goes. There's like a honk. There's like a honk. That's what a peacock I, sounds like. Uh, I can't tell if that is your brother or your sister. <laughs> and it could be either. The reason why I know that the peacock sounds like that, and by the way, I'll extract that so we can always introduce introduce your peacock oh, segment with that. Okay. That'd Thank be you. awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, the reason why I know this is because we actually had a neighborhood peacock growing up. What happened was there was a bunch of peacocks that were around um in the neighborhood for some reason. I don't know how they got there, where I grew up. And then eventually. They uh they all were removed because animals like it controls like, well, probably shouldn't have peacocks running around this neighborhood. So they got rid of all the peacocks, except for one. One peacock managed to stay around and it was the neighborhood peacock. And uh and uh yeah, it they make a lot of mess if you know what I mean. It's gross. More mess gross. than geese? It's the equivalent. No, it's probably worse. It's probably just it's as gross, gross and greasy yeah. and nasty that you run over and it smears everywhere. And you it's, go, oh! it's gross. It's gross. It actually, my neighbor had a window, like this big window. And then there was a flat roof right below the window. And it used to sit on the roof and basically make itself horny. It would flare up its feather looking at the windows. It was, it was hilarious. Oh, I, I don't have anything to say to that. I think we just need to move on with the rest of the show. All right. Uh-huh. No, you don't want that. You don't want that again. All right, let's talk a little bit about Chris's leet hacksaw skills. Uh, Chris, tell us all about your leet hacksaw skills. Let's not put this one on me. I've never okay. claimed to be a leet hacksaw, <laughs> so let's not put that out there and then have people trying to be a leet hacksaw to me. No, Chris is not a leet hacksaw. In fact, he is not even a hacksaw, nor is he leet. That's what he wants you to think, <laughs> buddy. I'm all elite, all right? All elite. You're all something. Ugh. All full of... Never mm-hmm. mind. But let's <laughs> talk about this news story. So we all had some good laughs back on July 17th when the Twitter hack was going on. We lulled that all of our verified friends, i.e. Cody Goff, weren't uh, able to tweet during this outage. Uh, take that, Cody. Yeah. <laughs> Sucks to be you, Cody. You finally got the short end of the stick on... Wait, everyone gets the short end of the stick on Twitter. What am I thinking about? Oh, but I see what you did there. What did I do there? <laughs> you, you put down Twitter. Oh, well, yes, I tend to do that from time to time. So while we had some lulls because the verified folks weren't able to tweet but could retweet random things and stuff like that, there is actually a bit of a problem that arose from this Twitter hack. And there's implications that we should be concerned about. So let's do a bit of a deep dive here into what we found out about the Twitter hack and then kind of discuss why it might be more problematic then we're thinking, and maybe after we get the initial laughs out of our system, we really shouldn't be laughing that much anymore. So on July 17th, when all of this happened, Twitter locked down accounts of thousands of verified accounts. We saw it included Cody Goff. This also included Joe Biden, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Apple, Uber, a variety of other businesses, after it became clear that hackers had been able to compromise them. So how did they know? Well, suddenly these high-profile accounts were all tweeting out identical links to cryptocurrency scam tends to be kind of an indicator that there's a problem there. Wait a minute. That was a scam? It was. Because a lot of people said if I gave them money in Bitcoin that I would get double back. So I went ahead and gave my entire retirement to them in Bitcoin. I can save you here, SB. Um, I just got an email today that looked promising. Uh, Apparently, there's a Nigerian prince that's going to help me out. So then you can go ahead and pay it forward. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that. I've got some information later. There are people that actually did submit Bitcoins or try and get stuff and got scammed. Uh-huh. And they actually made some money off of it. We'll get to that in a second, though. So Twitter has been doing some internal investigation. They posted a blog post. They've been sharing things on Twitter, ironically, saying what all had happened. Their internal investigation, like I mentioned, is ongoing. But they did say that hackers had somehow compromised the company's internal systems and security email, excuse me, secured employee privileges. 
This last Saturday, they posted a 900-word summary of the attack outlining what they knew. It stated the company was hit with a social engineering scheme targeting a small number of employees. Those targets were manipulated to perform certain actions and divulge, excuse me, divulge confidential information. The attackers successfully manipulated a small number of employees and used their credentials to access Twitter's internal systems, including getting through the two-factor authentication protections. As of now, Twitter knows they access tools that are generally only available to internal support teams to target 130 Twitter accounts. For 45 of those accounts, the attackers were able to initiate a password reset, log into the account, and then send tweets. In a summary of what was accessed, Twitter wrote, excuse me, attackers were not able to view previous account passwords as those are not stored in plain text or available anywhere through the tools using the attack. Attackers were able to view personal information including email addresses and phone numbers, which are displayed to some of our internal support tools. In addition, where an account was taken over by the attacker, they may have been able to view additional information. What that is, Twitter did not disclose. They did say their forensic investigation of these activities is still ongoing. So based on Twitter's preliminary explanation, there were some screenshots that were put out, and I believe it was CNN had reached out to some former Twitter employees to try and get some feedback on how they might have gotten in, what tools they might have had access to. These employees concluded that the hackers had accessed the administrative panel internally known as agent tools or the Twitter services UI. So this is this like tool- a secret agent tool? Is that what this is? Like- secret agent tool. <laughs> no, this internal tool is intended for employees to handle customer support requests to moderate con- and to moderate content is what one of the former employees had mentioned in regards to Twitter's security. Hundreds of Twitter employees have access to agent tools, according to one of the former employees. It's a powerful platform that can show Twitter users cell phone numbers if they register them with the company, as well as geolocation and any IP addresses that have been used to access the account. These, in theory, could have been accessed or compromised during this hack. So SP had mentioned earlier, they were talking about Bitcoin stuff. That's what happened. These tweets from the hijacked accounts read, quote, I have decided to give back to my community. All Bitcoin sent to my address below will be sent back doubled. I'm only doing a maximum of 50,000, excuse me, $50 million. There was an independent researcher by the name of Brian Krebs who reported the Bitcoin wallet address shows 393 transactions took place, rough excuse me, worth roughly 12.9 Bitcoin. As of Friday's exchange rate, this is $118,104.27 worth of Bitcoin. So yes, they got access to all these accounts. They're able to tweet things from it. They're potentially able to access DMs. For eight accounts that, however, weren't verified, they said, they were able to do the uh, Twitter, not recovery, the Twitter download tool they have, which allows you to download all of your account data associated with Twitter. Not any of the verified accounts. That means things like Donald Trump, Joe Biden, those folks like that. They are safe. But this is a big deal. Yes, all that came out of it was a Bitcoin scam. And there are some people that got ripped off. But there's bigger problems that could arise. Why is this a big deal? Well, like we mentioned, some of the accounts compromised. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden, President Barack Obama, Tesla CEO Elon Musk, Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates, uh, supposedly running for president, Kanye West, formerly running for president, Michael Bloomberg, a lot of people that are big in industry, big in politics, things like that. Now, all they did at this point in time was try and push a Bitcoin scam. But what if they tried to do something else? Let's take politics out of this, but let's use a, an example in the political situation. Currently, President Trump here in the United States, he's fond of using Twitter to announce or create new legislation, sanctions, things like that. It's his primary tool for interacting with the people in America, it seems like. A trend has been established now where this is considered acceptable behavior for announcing policy and things like that. So let's suppose in this hypothetical that the president of the United States Twitter account were hacked and someone posted something not for a Bitcoin scam, but in the effect of, I'm imposing major trade sanctions on both China and Russia and some other kind of inflammatory text. In today's world, People are going to believe this false tweet, including China and Russia, which then sets off a firestorm of events that have geopolitical implications. Let's go slightly smaller scale from potential World War III applications. Let's say Elon Musk's account were hacked again, and then they tweeted something to the effect of something incredibly false but believable sounding about Tesla, that they were going to sell or that they were buying some other company or something like this, then negatively impacts stock prices or causes the stock to tank, 
bunch of people come in and buy stock up real cheap and cheap, and then it recovers because of an artificial means of someone putting false information out, things like that. We've gotten past the point where Twitter is a place where we go and share cat memes and stupid things we laugh about on the internet. Twitter is trying to morph themselves into this place where they're the center hub of where you can find news, where you can find out about current events, interact with people that might be that might have some bearing on those events. And they want to think of themselves as this great news source and this great source for getting direct information from politicians, from world leaders, things like that. If you want to do that, you can't fall prey to simple social engineering issues where you get fished or spearfished or things like that. And when you do, there's obviously a problem if you're able to get into only a few accounts and access all this information and start putting out false information on verified people. This is a problem as we go forward. If it, if it continues to be this easy, and it's probably not easy for a common person, but if you're able to scheme your way in to having access to verified accounts and putting out information and collecting information from it, it's a problem on today's stage. And while I enjoyed having my laughs about, oh, verified people can't tweet and ha ha ha, this is so funny what's happening to Twitter. After a day or two, you start reading all these other things that could have happened. You go, oh, oh crap, We're, this is not good. And I think Twitter, as they investigate what's going on here, they need to come out with some kind of plan. They may not announce everything to people, but they need to say, here's the steps we are taking to further secure our platform so that problems like this do not come up again. Because if you can't trust the platform, why do you keep going there? Well, your uh, Elon Musk example is backed by by history too. Um, apparently, he's got in trouble with the FTC. He, he tweeted back in May about uh, quote Tesla stock price is too high IMO, and apparently <laughs> stocks dropped. Uh, he also, I believe, now this I haven't Googled for sure, but I'm pretty sure I re- recall correctly that. After he did the Joe Rogan um, and got high on there, uh, stocks dropped as well, right? So, like, there there is a correlation between stuff on the internet by him and stocks dropping. And so, had they gone and they put something out there, all of a sudden, it definitely could have, right? And, and you can't like politics is one thing, unless it's like like a war starts because of Twitter. You can you can walk that back. You can it walk almost that, looked like it was going to yeah, at one but, point in but time. But you in the can past. walk that back if all of a sudden you know there's a candidate that comes out and they put out something horrible, and then Twitter's like, "Got guys, gals, we got this. This was us. This was hacked. That's our bad." That candidate now is is safe, right? Like, and you know, it's it's a wash point other than the initial reaction. When shares drop and stuff, they're they're done. Like you can't walk that back. You can't unless people are walking it back, right? Like it's not, it's it's got to be a two way street there. And there's other things that could happen, right? So I, I think you know there's all sorts of different things that could have happened. And unfortunately, that's the problem with the world we live in is that we do we do pay attention to all of this direct contact now, whether it is Twitter or Facebook or other social media. That we never used to have. You used to always have to let's pull out the newspaper and see what's being posted. That's been not only through the company's press person, but also through the uh, newspapers. Um, uh, what do they call the edit, edit, editing manager? And you know all these other layers, right? Like it wasn't the way that it is now. And I, I agree. I think it could it could have been disastrous. And I think uh, Twitter definitely needs to pull up their socks because. Uh, this seems a little, little uh, too too easy. Just Another- clarify one thing real quick. Um, in the chat room, there was conversation there about President Trump's Twitter account. All accounts were, it has not been compromised. I did use that as an example for what could have gone wrong if a bad actor was involved. So by all accounts that we've seen from Twitter, from various media outlets, President Trump's account was not compromised during that time. However, Democratic nominee Joe Biden supposedly was. So there is potential there that a bad actor could have done something similar with the Democratic nominee, presumed Democratic nominee for president of the United States. SP, you were going to say something. Another thing I saw Elon Musk tweet was he launched a Tesla Roadster into space. (laughs) That never happened, right? Uh, That was that was I think everybody else being high. That's what that was. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, thanks for filling us in on that. Because, yeah, that was, I think, definitely the top story from the world, the world of tech this past week. And uh, you did a good job covering it, Chris. You know what you should do? You should do like a, a tech or a geek or a nerd news show where you regularly put out episodes. Where I alert people about the news. Yeah, you should alert people <laughs> about the, ner- the nerdy news. That's what you should do. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> all right well less exciting tech news it looks like microsoft is bringing back disco oh sorry that's just the title that i put in the sidebar no uh they are (laughs) for the audio listener you got to check out the video side of this over at guineageek.com because chris enjoy that gift suncast yeah chris was trying to do (laughs) it you gotta go full screen for that yeah hold on let's let's just do that for the video viewer go ahead right now do it again I don't dance on demand. Uh, fine. Not unless you got dollar bills. Uh, <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, no, Microsoft's announced that they are discontinuing the Xbox One X and the Xbox One X Digital or whatever the heck it was called. S the, Digital. The, the, uh, sorry, the S Digital. Thank you very much. They have confirmed that the consoles will cease to roll out of factory production as they are moving forward, of course, with the future of the Xbox platform, which I believe is Xbox One. What is the Xbox One? Xbox Series X. Xbox Series Xbox X. One. Yeah. X, not Xbox One X. It's Xbox. What is it? Xbox One X is the current one that yeah. they just retired. The next gen one that launches in holiday this year is Xbox Series X That's competing right. against you. the PlayStation 5. I told you when they announced the name, it was stupid. I, I knew I would never I get don't this dispute straight. that. It's, it's not as stupid as HBO Max. <laughs> it's almost as stupid yeah, as HBO I, Max. I agree. Because, I almost <laughs> think it's worse because I, like, they have used the naming convention Xbox X. And and now they're using it again. At least HBO was like HBO Max, HBO whatever. H, like it wasn't oh. the same two words. Wait a minute, there's letters. an HBO whatever now too. Yeah, yeah <laughs> HBO probably. Go. Like at least at least the part after HBO was different. Here we've got a couple different uses of X. So, Stephen, you want me to make your head explode? Yes. There's a rumor we're also getting Xbox Series S that Microsoft hasn't announced that may come up on <laughs> Thursday's Xbox event. I don't even want to talk about my news point anymore. That's too good. <laughs> I do. You know why? Because I was in the market to buy an Xbox One X. I don't want the S because it's simulated 4K. I want the actual 4K, which is in the One X. You cannot find one, and now they're not making them anymore. I'm mad. So, okay, as let Steven finish that point, okay. but I think there's almost good news once we do a deep dive and think about a little bit, them discontinuing the Series X at this point in time before the next launch. So all I was going to say is that, yes, they've announced that they are discontinuing that. And there is still inventory that will be out there, um, obviously. Because Where? They, they have there is no it. inventory. Uh, Not a lot, no. I guess. There are some somewhere. Uh, <laughs> but the other thing that they're doing, um, which I wanted to touch on as well, is that they have announced that they are removing the 12-month option of the Xbox Gold. That sucks. Now, you Microsoft did confirm that at this time, Xbox has decided to remove the 12-month Xbox Live Gold SKU from the Microsoft Online Store. Customers can still sign up for a one-month or three-month Xbox Live Gold subscription online through the Microsoft Store, end quote. Now, I wanted to bring this up because I think that we've seen the Xbox Ultimate, Game Pass Ultimate, um, that Seems to be the way that they're going. They put some pretty good incentives in there. I when it came out, I talked a little bit about how like financially it actually almost makes more sense for, because a lot of people were getting the game pass and it was a really good deal. Um, and also with the direction of where I think they're going for the the cloud uh, system, which I think is what Chris was about to talk about, touch on. I think that it makes sense that they try to get people over to that ultimate pass because it's probably going to tie into all of that. So I think that this is just showing us that they are definitely going all in with the next generation of Xbox, whatever it is, and the model that they're setting up, which is a lot more digital and a lot more cloud and a lot less old way. And they did announce that the xCloud stuff becomes part of either Game Pass or Game Pass Ultimate subscription starting in September. When that goes live, it goes out of beta and it's included as part of that subscription. So that's one of the things I wanted to mention. The other thing is 
why might this be a good thing that they're discontinuing the Xbox One X at this point in time? We still don't know the price of the Series X. There's still a rumored Xbox Series S that would be coming out, which is similar to the, the big X version, but with slightly lower specs. So if you go and look at what they're discontinuing, the Xbox One X comes in at what, a $400 price point retail? And you can look at that and go, hmm, they're discontinuing the thing that's at the $400 price point. What can we glean from that? That maybe the price of the new Xbox, the next gen Xbox, is somewhere around that price because it really wouldn't make sense to keep that console going, even if you discount it by a hundred bucks, but have it be that close to what the price is of the Series X that drops in November, December, whenever the hell it actually comes out. Oh. So there is a lot of theorizing that this might be an indicator that the Series X price is lower than people were expecting. Because some people were expecting five to six hundred dollars. And now the people are start now the supposed experts are starting to look more towards the four hundred dollar price range for the Series X. Yeah, but I wanted to game the system before the new one came out. I wanted to grab the old one at a deeply discounted price, not just two ninety nine, but mm. less than that. They've done that in the past. I was planning on it and they have now short circuited me on it. Guess what? PS5, here I come. Ooh. Good luck finding one of those too at this point in time. Uh, this is not a me PS5? taking a shot at Sony. They're not. When it comes out, I, I'm yeah. not saying it's out now, but it's looking like the demand for that and for the Xbox is going to be higher than expected in the middle of a pandemic where they haven't been able to produce as many as they want. It's going to be tough. And supposedly Sony is limiting people to one PS5 through various platforms. Now, that doesn't mean you couldn't game the system, get one from Amazon, one from GameStop or something like that, but they're not going to allow people to order multiple from any of these vendors. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when these things drop. And there still is an argument that has to be made on both consoles of why do I want to upgrade immediately? That argument hasn't been made for me at this point in time. Yeah. Well, you're fine. You've got 4K capable consoles. I do not. Yeah, but it doesn't do ray tracing or any other cool stuff. It's just a matter of what will support that. I don't get why it's such a big deal to get 4K in there. There are some really inexpensive... There's some really inexpensive 4K players, like just standalone did, players. Did you see the 4K 60 frames per second footage of Spider-Man for PS5 that's coming out? It was absolutely gorgeous. I guess gaming is different than playback of disc. Fair enough. Yeah. And yes. I want to be able to get on my online streaming services and get the 4K result when they make it right. all available. I want to make sure that that is capable too. And you cannot get that if your machine does not support the 4K. Well, your new Apple TVs will hopefully be out before then, which should support all of this. Well, you want to bet? I, I don't, don't want to bet anything when it comes to the release of tech products at this point in time, Pro because I have no idea anymore. Prosser said they're coming out. Uh, moving, on to <laughs> moving on to the next news point here. Uh, there's a couple things we've been talking about a lot lately that seems to be the same story over and over. And one of them is Wink. Wink is Wink is constantly coming up and we're saying, oh, look, they're talking about subscription models or, oh, they're screwing up. Like it's, it's the same thing over and over. Well, I think SP has got a new story that is finally going to repeat more than the <laughs> Wink news. <laughs> I don't think this is repeating because they find the, New story here is they actually set a date for it, which they knew it was delayed. They didn't set a date. Now they set a date. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the James Webb Space Telescope. We knew its launch was going to be delayed for a lot of different reasons. COVID was probably the biggest one because the people that are creating it, Northrop Grumman, they were at a 40% capacity and they just couldn't get the job done. They are back up to normal shifts, multiple shifts, working is socially distant, but working the normal shifts on it. So they're back on track right now. So this is what NASA had to say. They announced on Thursday, July 16th, that the liftoff of the $9.8 billion James Webb Space Telescope has been delayed from March 2021 until Halloween 2021. Yes, October 31st, 2021. It'll be... I. I'm not going to go trick-or-treating, guys. I'm going to watch this thing launch. <laughs> Can I just say, like, that is the start of, like, a horror movie right there, like a space horror film? No, you don't <laughs> say. 
I think it's going to be delayed for a variety of different reasons. I mean, there's weather and stuff like that. Anyway, what caused the delay? We talked about COVID. So NASA officials attributed three months of this latest seven month delay to the coronavirus pandemic, which forced many NASA centers to impose mandatory work from home orders. Also, there was risk reduction work on the complex web technology, such as the observatory's huge foldable sun shield, which added two more months that was going to happen no matter what. And the remaining two months were added for schedule margin, giving the mission some breathing room on its long road to the launch pad. Now, the delay won't increase the cost of James Webb, which has a cost cap set by Congress of $8.8 billion through the launch and a total project life cycle cost of $9.8 billion. And that does include a European Space Agency launch cost in there as well. They're paying for the launch. So, yeah, you make this $8.8 billion satellite and somebody else gives it a ride. I think that's pretty cool. Webb will launch atop an Arrain 5 rocket from the ESA spaceport in French Guiana on the northeastern coast of South America, then head to the Sun-Earth Lagrange point number two, which is a gravitationally stable point in space about 930,000 miles from Earth. The observatory will deploy its sunshield, which is about the size of a tennis ball court, and will help keep Webb's instrumentation cool and shielded from the sun, which is important because it's an infrared telescope. Now, Eric Smith, Webb's program scientist at NASA headquarters, said in a statement that, quote, Webb is designed to observe the infrared universe and exploring every face of cosmic history. The observatory will detect light from the first generation of galaxies that formed in the early universe after the Big Bang and study the atmospheres of nearby exoplanets for possible signs of habitability or habitability unquote so james webb it's gonna go up halloween 2021 i just got one thing to say to that sp just one just one one thing that's uncharacteristic of you uh it's time to retire the hubble that's all i just got one thing to say and by the way that clip uh is date stamped as may 5th 2014 on my computer which Uh, is probably the beginning of the space symposium so it was a long time ago, a very long time ago. And so I'm so glad that after many, many years, like we've been talking about it for a very, very long time. I am so glad that this Halloween, I'll be able to sit around and watch it go up this Halloween. It's going to be a lot of fun just sitting around after it's so many years. Halloween oh. 2021. Are you in the COVID time <laughs> sink there, buddy? No, I was just taking, an- taking another dig at the fact that this is so far delayed. It's, seriously, it's been forever. I can't wait for it to be up there, of course. Have you seen video of this in comparison to the people working on it? Do you know how massive this thing is? It's bigger than a space shuttle. You, you know that. Never mind. I won't jinx it. <laughs> I was going to say, after all this you're, time. You're thinking it's going <laughs> to blow up on the way up? Yeah. 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 It's not unheard of. Well, thanks for updating us, and we look forward to the next time that it delays. Uh, moving on to the next news point here. Boy, Chris, you got something you wanted to say about about Bud. Is that right? Bud Weiser. Bud. Uh, we'll let, Wise- we can do this. Bud. Weiser. Bud. Wise. Not going to do it because we'll get a copyright strike. Uh, go ahead and talk about it. Wouldn't be our first one. <laughs> so, yes, we're going to talk about buds here, but we all know I like Bluetooth headphones. As I sit at my desk right here, I have my Amazon my Amazon headphones. Oh, and I also have, because I was just charging them, my Google Pixel Buds. I like Bluetooth headphones. They're fun gadgets to play with. So when I saw this news about some new Bluetooth headphones coming out, I went, hmm, I better stay true to form and talk about this on the GoToGeek.com show. So a new leak has given us a bet excuse me, has given us the best look at the soon-to-be-launched true wireless earbuds, excuse me, earbuds coming from OnePlus. Several images were extracted from the OnePlus Buds APK by both 9to5Google and Max Weinbach of XDIE developers. We'll get it a little bit, we'll talk a little bit what's in there. What's interesting though, and I didn't realize this, is we don't have a price for the OnePlus Buds yet, but they did tease these Buds on Instagram saying, quote, for dollar sign xx period xx suggesting they'll retail for less than hundred dollars so in theory you're looking at bluetooth headphones that are analogous to the pixel buds or the airpods for a hundred bucks 
So this teardown of the APK showed that the OnePlus Buds will be available in black, blue, and white. They appear to be the same earbuds that were worn by OnePlus co-founder Carl Pei in an interview with Marcus Brownlee. Brownlee, excuse me. 9to5 Google also discovered code that suggests these buds will support Dolby Atmos as well as the ability to locate your lost buds through a Find My Device options. Illustrations found in the APK also suggest fast pairing like we've seen with AirBuds and Pixel Buds, touch controls, and an automatic pause feature when removing an earbud from a single ear. Last week online, OnePlus had said the buds will last for seven hours of continuous use or 30 hours in total when charged from the case. These OnePlus buds supposedly weigh 4.6 grams. The case is rumored to come in at 36 grams. Why do I bring this up? Because if they can hit this sweet spot for $99.99 of these earbuds that are that capable, do fast pairing, soon have these other features that work pretty well, that's a pretty compelling product. They undercut Samsung's Galaxy Buds and Galaxy Buds Plus, Apple's AirPods, let alone the AirPods Pros or whatever they're called, and also Google's Pixel Buds almost by having the price in comparison to these products. So while we may not know much now as we record this show on July 20th, 2020, OnePlus is doing an event tomorrow on July 21st where they're supposedly going to be revealing these headphones in addition to some other phone products. So stay tuned. You'll see what that price is. $99.99 for Bluetooth headphones with all those features. That's pretty compelling. What I would be curious to see if it gets announced tomorrow is what kind of smart assistant support that is in there. Does it support SIR? because I don't want to say it and trigger someone's devices (laughs) on the Apple side of the house. Does it have Google voice services? Because I don't want to trigger anyone's devices in the Google end of the world. Will it work with whatever smart assistant is on your phone? Presumably, I think it would because I've had El Cheapo brand uh, Bluetooth headphones before where if I just held down one of the buds, it would trigger the smart assistant on both iOS or Android. So I assume it will, but 100 bucks for a product that seems that capable I'm intrigued. I don't have any reason to go and buy these headphones, but I'd be happy to review them if OnePlus wanted to send me a review copy. Hint, hint, hint. Wink, wink. I've reviewed a lot of (laughs) earphones. Let me review them. Yeah. Um, If they end up in that price range, uh, I've said for a while I've been looking for something. Google Buds finally came to Canada, but they're kind of expensive. Um, They are here too. I... I'm skeptical because if they have the features and if they are under $100, which is both big ifs at this point, I just can't see them being the same quality when we've had a history of other good earbuds being higher than that. The Apple AirPods, the Google Buds, the Amazon Buds, the ones that you, the Tick Pods, right? Like they all were higher than that. It seems too good to be true. But remember OnePlus's model, though, when it came to cell phones, as they got established there, is they undercut all the competition with having a product of roughly equal caliber. Now, it didn't have things like waterproofing or wireless charging, but go and look at everything as they developed their smartphone line. Now, they're not really that cheap because, yeah, their all phones went up in price, but they were notorious for being very competitive price-wise and feature-wise. Does the price include a, ca- a wireless charging case like the Apple AirPods? I don't know. In that Apple AirPods, be... you have to buy a wireless case or buy the version with a wireless charging right. case. Yes. Yes. So that could justify some of the cost growth between the ones that you're talking about or any ones that are less and the Apple AirPods because they all come with a charging case to begin with. And then you add a couple more dollars and you get the wireless charging case. Was it like 20 bucks? Something like that. It is. My daughters have them and Mm -hmm. I'm looking at them going, dang, that is all really useful because they keep their cases on their uh, keychain. So whenever they go to the gym or they are in class, Mm -hmm. one of them's in class now, that sort of thing, they can pop them in. And they can be charged. And if they got to go one at a time to, to charge them, it's, it is incredibly useful. And then to take it back. And when you're charging like your Apple Watch at night, you might have a combination charger, wireless charger that has three different points on the stand that actually charges everything. It's a pain to have that, but it is incredibly universally useful. Now, that said, I do understand that they're expensive between the AirPods and the AirPod Pros. I get it. 
and they don't really work in the Google architecture all that great from what I heard. So yeah, he needs something equivalent and possibly even cheaper on the Google side. I would like a cheaper option on the Apple side that actually integrates well with Apple, but you're paying for the Apple tax. So it's I just not going to get cheaper. I imagine these would work with Apple just as well as they would with Android. I mean, they're just Bluetooth headphones. Now, as to whether they have the quick pairing feature, the same on iOS devices, I don't know because Apple built their own coprocessor to handle that. And Google has come up with some kind of weird behind the scenes magic voodoo to emulate that quick pairing on Android devices, which I'm pretty sure they're not sharing that secret sauce with other folks. But OnePlus is supposedly emulating that based off of the APK teardowns. I mean, we'll find out more tomorrow. I'm not going to be watching this event live or anything like that, but I look forward after the event to going and seeing what was announced and specifically honing in to see what they announced for their headphones because $100 for good Bluetooth headphones, that's a very compelling price point because the best you can do right now if you're looking for something like that is you can find a Galaxy Buds Plus, I think it is, the Samsung ones for $129 sometimes on sale. And okay, you're talking about in-ear earbuds you're not Correct. talking about over the ear because you could find over Correct. the ear for cheaper yes everything i've been talking about is in regards to in-ear buds for convenience factor uh the only thing that i can see it's also missing is they should probably bundle it with a roll of that flex tape stuff you know the stuff that you can tape up a boat that's cut in half because you started this billy mays here <laughs> oh wait he didn't sell that, that one billy did he? mays but you know it was it was the guy that had the flex tape and uh the reason why is because you said that OnePlus has a leak Right. That's how you started this article. So hopefully mm. they can get the leak sealed up. Mm. You uh, don't think they did it on purpose? <laughs> get some buzz? Of course they did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving on, I had a fun little thing here that I wanted to mention. This past weekend, there was a Twitter user that ended up posting a interesting image uh, in a California park. Jeremy Yoder had said, quote, spotted something odd on my run through the park tonight. And I guess I have good news and bad news. And what this was, was he had posted in the middle of a park. There was some pictures of what appeared to be holodeck terminals. If you've ever watched Star Trek, you know that anytime there's a holodeck program and there's a plot line that involved something crazy in the world in the holodeck world they always had that magical holodeck panel that they could access and get into arch uh, they would say that and yeah it was there was, exactly there was the arch or like you know in voyager they'd have to go and um there the the one where they were uh chipped and made to believe they're in the world war ii they had to go and and slide open like a door or something anyways there was a whole there's always a holodeck program panel somewhere and it looks like the good news is we're part of a holodeck simulation because that's the only natural conclusion with 2020 being the way that it is, is that this is just a bad, bad rogue holodeck program. Yeah, you're not wrong. <sighs> Kidding aside, uh, turns out that this was posted by a uh, set designer, Arthur Chadwick, who designed the L cars interface. So if you... Uh, if you want to believe that they exist, we'll let you go along with that. That's probably the better option at this point. It looked like trash cans. Yeah, they were basically stuck on trash cans is what it came yeah. down to. They were stickers yeah. on trash cans. It still looked cool, though. <laughs> it was fun, though. Could you imagine we're going for a, a jog around the park and seeing that? That'd be cool. That'd be cool. It would be. I wonder how many people are like, the heck is this? And then compared to how many people walked up and went, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> so question for either of you two. Have you ever been to MIT's campus? No. No. Okay. Well, there, there you go. Well, stuff like this happens all the time at MIT. <laughs> I would imagine. I, I also have wanted a full Windows version that uses LCARS. Because LCARS mm. looks highly ineffective. <laughs> like, let's be honest, it looks very ineffective. And then when you're seeing, like, data, especially when he's, like, doing his 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 coding, his hacking <laughs> thing on there, you're like, there's not that many buttons to push. Yeah. I just watched well, an episode oh. of Voyager last night where there's an alien that they woke up from uh, stasis after nearly a thousand years. And he, he and he walks over to Harry Kim because he was going to give them the, the security code, the security code for the satellite that was still in orbit. And he's like, oh, I'm a little unfamiliar with this technology. And, and Harry Kim points to the, the panel and goes, you can enter it right here. And it's like 
First off, how does the alien know how to use that? Uh, secondly, though, it looked very inefficient from the perspective that it was a lot more complicated than just like a keyboard or a number pad. Like there's got to be, you can't imagine you're only using numbers. So it's got to be like the old, you know, the old typing on the cell phone where you'd be like AAA to get C. It's got to be like T9. Yeah, it has to be like that because it was a bunch of, it was a limited amount of keys for a very long security code. Guys, it's hexadecimals. Oh, that makes well, sense. Guys, I don't know if you noticed. Uh, in Star Trek Picard, <laughs> they have retired the Elkar system, and there is now holographic interfaces. And you can notice in the finale episode, as uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard Put some goes, tape on your glasses uh, if you're going to do that, Chris. I don't know how to fly this, because he didn't know how to use the uh, new holographic interface. You got some flex tape in of, that drawer. Just, just, just get that out and put it so, on your glasses, uh, man. I just wanted you guys to know that Elkar's inefficiency is something that they did notice in the world of Star Trek as they replaced it with something else. Perfect. So, uh... Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Yo, Joe. <laughs> that was a fantastic. I wish we were ending there. Uh, <laughs> moving on. We to can. Our... <laughs> we can. No, we'll do the last news point. Uh, the last news point that we've got here uh, in the title bar, I have called it Space is Spensive. It is indeed. Uh, so I got these articles from space.com, Space News, and uh, Space Flight. Now and the other story was from space.com and space news. So this story goes into a lot of money. Now we've been talking about the space development and the fact that NASA hasn't been really as capable as developing its space systems as someplace like SpaceX can be. There is a lot of head scratching for over you before you continue. Yeah. Is that SpaceX or is that Space Series X? It's Space One Series <sighs> X. Oh, fair enough. So there's a lot of head scratching over the fact that these other companies can be developing the space systems a lot faster than NASA can. So the government has all of these audits that come in automatically. Anything that NASA does that's over $250 million gets an automatic audit. So there is a audit department within NASA called the Office of Inspector General or OIG. They released a report on July 16th that raised several issues with the cost and schedules of the Orion program, including the agency's decision to exclude many costs from a formal cost estimate for the program, as well as overly generous award fees paid to the prime contractor, which in this case is Lockheed Martin, over the life of the program. We're going to get little detailed here, but this is meant to say that space is not cheap and there is a lot of accountability, whether or not it actually happens in a timely fashion as we would go through this story. So through January of 2020, which is the latest financial data that is available, NASA spent $16.7 billion on the Orion's development, dating back to the Constellation program. NASA estimates spending an additional $12.8 billion on Orion through 2030, primarily on production of future spacecraft. While that suggests a total of Orion through 2030 of $29.5 billion, NASA's formal estimate for life cycle costs of the program is $11.3 billion, which covers the development through the Artemis II mission. Whoa! What happened there? $29.5 billion down to $13.3. So it sounds like somebody's hiding something, right? That total excludes the $6.3 billion spent on Orion during the now-defunct Constellation program and an estimated $10 billion in costs for missions beyond Artemis II. So now you're like, oh, they're doing the creative money shuffle sort of thing. Since the cost and schedule baseline was set in 2015, the program has experienced over $900 million in cost growth through 2019, which is a figure expected to rise to at least $1.4 billion through 2023, the OIG's report concluded. Since 2006, NASA has been developing Orion to transport astronauts beyond low Earth orbit with the aerospace company Lockheed Martin as the capsule's prime contractor, meaning there's a lot of subcontractors involved as well. The near-term focus for Orion is the moon, 
And NASA aims to land two astronauts near the lunar South Pole in 2024 as part of its ambitious Artemis program. Key word there is ambitious. The new head of NASA human spaceflight, Kathy Luters, has not committed to 2024. It is the current schedule, but she is not committed to it. She sees a lot of issues like the Orion development in the way, not to mention the SLS. We'll get to that in a second. Orion has flown three test flights to date, including one to Earth orbit, but none have had astronauts on board. The huge rocket that will launch Orion on its Artemis missions, the Space Launch System, has yet to fly at all. Orion and SLS are scheduled to fly together for the first time in late 2021 on a test mission that will send an uncrewed Orion around the moon. While life cycle cost estimates are supposed to cover the entire program, NASA granted approval for a tailored cost estimate for Orion development, concluding, and that is according to the report, that it would be difficult to estimate the overall cost for a long-term human exploration program that is likely to last for multiple decades. However, the OIG said that approach limited the ability for those outside the agency to track development and determine whether a replan or rebaseline of the program funding and schedule expectations is required. Huh. Wow. So let's read that again. The approach limited the ability of those outside the agency to track development and determine whether a replan or rebaseline of a program funding and schedule expectations in required. Hmm. Those outside the agency. That speaks suspiciously to me like the United States Congress, hmm. which gives NASA the budget. Oh. They would never hamstring NASA. No. Never. And, and this is NASA's way of getting around that hamstringing or rebaselining that Congress is often tend to do. It's one of the reasons why we never got the Freedom Space Station. It's one of the reasons why we didn't get the Constellation program. They just said, it's costing too much money. Let's move on. And then the next administration came in and said, let's do Orion. So that's what happened here. Moving on, the report said that performance shortcomings by Lockheed Martin contributed to those cost overruns and some schedule slips, although those delays have been masked to some degree by greater schedule problems with the Space Launch System. OIG, citing internal NASA documents, said the Artemis 1 mission is now scheduled for launch in November 2021 and Artemis 2 in August 2023, although agency leadership has yet to confirm those dates, thus my Kathy Luter's comment before. OIG made three recommendations to NASA. Number one, include all costs for Orion in future reports, i.e. we want to know how much this whole thing is going to cost. Number two, adjust production schedules for later Orion spacecraft, i.e. we're going to buy more of these, so the cost is definitely going to be more. And number three, minimizing award fees if future contracts have to be modified because of contractor performance. Now, we didn't go into it in detail, but Lockheed Martin supposedly got healthy bonuses where they really shouldn't have in the contracting thing. And if you want to read more about this, I put a link in the show notes. Stephen will put a link in the show notes to the podcast there. You can read the entire document yourself and read all about how the auditors felt about the program. I will say that in a standard government program, it doesn't matter if it's social security, doesn't matter if it's NASA, DOD, whatever, Homeland Security, you're going to run into cost overruns. It's just part of the thing when you're dealing with a not-for-profit activity. Uh, the government does not operate for profit unless you're like the Postal Service or whatever. And NASA is not one of those. NASA is a sucking up of resources. It's not one to give resources back, at least not yet. Uh, we'll see if we get into the transportation system, you know, uh, costs in the future. But I think prioritization privatization is going to be the rooster that is on top of the barn there. So anyway, that is the nuts and the details of what's going on with Orion and why it is delayed from a financial program management standpoint. And you have to understand these things when you're talking about, are we going to put boots on the moon in 2024? Uh, I hate when you pay somebody for something for a service and then they have performance issues. I hate that. Is that your inability to use a, a little pill, maybe? 
Uh, okay, he, here's the question. Uh, when are you going to start the which is actually going to uh, launch first betting pool? Will it be the Artemis One in November 2021? Or will it be the James Webb in October 2021? They're so close. You don't know. One could be delayed and the other could overtake. Stay tuned for SP's play-by-play of the launch timelines. Early betting would be on the James Webb. Why? Because it's launching on a proven vehicle. The Arane 5 has been used time and time again for really expensive scientific missions. I don't know about SLS. The only reason that SLS will be pushed up is if a certain election goes a certain way and the president, the next president of the United States wants to have it done by the end of the term. So you don't know. So you don't know, SP. You said you don't know. You don't. You don't know where life began. It could be MU sixty nine. No, no. But I'm, I'm, just I'm just... pretty sure that James Webb is going to launch before Artemis one. I'm disappointed in you. Nine eleven, whatever it was. I can't remember off the top of my head. And I'm a rocket scientist. I should know this. But see, you're a rocket scientist. You should know that. I'm telling you <laughs> that the risk of James Webb at this point is a lot less than the risk to SLS. By the way, if you didn't gather, I'm in the old SP clips directory. <laughs> I'm surprised you kept those. Uh, You've not played those. But I'm Chris just Farrell, glad he's not in the old Chris Farrell directory. Uh, I got a couple of those here, too. I just don't, mm, don't know if we can play to bring any those of those up, anymore. Huh? <laughs> Profanity! <laughs> mm. I, I, I hate you guys so much right now. It's Decker. still true. It's still true. We hate you too, Chris. Hate keeps you strong. Well, thank we- you very much uh, for educating us on this. And we look forward, Stargate Pioneer, to you telling us about the other delays with this too. There will be delays. But these are the two big missions that are going on right now. That and Starship over at SpaceX in the uh, BFR the big effing rocket, right? Big fracking so rocket. Those uh, are the big Falcon. things going on. Uh, the official name is uh, the official name is the big Falcon rocket. Thank you very much. That's Actually, what the they name is. Name. They changed names that, completely now. That's gimmick know. infringement. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we go, uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug or promote? Let's start off with Chris Farrell. Uh, so if you want a good laugh before I plug anything, go watch Henry Cavill build a PC on his Instagram. He did a five-minute-long video on Instagram with two Barry White music of him building his new gaming PC. You have not heard about this? I and, uh It's, it's pretty delightful. all over the internet this past week. I don't do the Insta. It, it's I don't either, but I went and sought it out, and everyone told me about it. And, uh, yeah, good for you, Henry Cavill. That That's dude's cool. jacked, and you can tell when he's building a freaking PC. And you're like, how the hell is this dude that big? You see the size of that case? Yeah. I want that. I want that size of the case for my next computer. My Ugh. favorite was him realizing he put the temperature gauge on upside down. It was like, <laughs> after one day of gaming, I then went and fixed it or something like that. <laughs> Had gaming to do. It doesn't look too too big, does it? It's huge. You know how big he is? And he's lifting it yeah, up? It's Henry huge. Henry Cavill's a giant. Yeah, I know, but it, bear it's, in mind, it's just a Geralt big of Rivia is big. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to have a look and see. I, I doesn't or Superman, if you prefer. I talked to you about big cases before. You said you didn't want one. It doesn't. That it looks like the size of my cake. Cake. It, my case. You got cake? No, it's it, the bigger size. I'm looking at the different slot. I think you're in. I think you're mistaken when you look at the size of the feed and and the hardware in there. I don't think it's that big. I don't know. I'll have to look after. <laughs> uh, whoever's next, do you want to plug or promote? I forget who's just plugged. <laughs> I'm looking for a clip here. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, SP. There is a ton going on right now. And if you haven't checked out the Discovery Channel on their YouTube channel, they have done some Mythbusters uh, tributes to Grant. I would go check them out. Grant was just a fun guy to be around. And he had a great quote that I heard a couple of times. It's once he figured out that there was no dignity in TV, then it all became a lot funner. <laughs> I think the same is true of podcasting. There's just no dignity in podcasting. 
once you figure that out, once you figure out that everybody's going to make fun of you and it's just going to be part of the deal, then it becomes a lot funner. And I just want to thank Grant for all his years of all the stuff that he did and he will be sorely missed. So if you haven't checked those out, go to the Discovery Channel YouTube and see some of the tributes that are there, the official Mythbusters tributes. You're going to enjoy them. I was very surprised by that. And uh, I always thought like he deserved more screen time in his field. Like anything that he did where he could just roll with with the robotics, like uh, uh, he he hosted the uh, robot show for a while, right? Didn't he? Didn't didn't he host? Ro- I, I don't know, but that was his expertise yeah. was robotics. In any case, I, I think he did one show, but I always felt like he needed like a, a specific like robotic type show that we could all enjoy him just go well, nuts with right like his, did, he, he really was fantastic at it and really entertaining and enjoyable and ed- educational too he knew his stuff and he had a passion for science and teaching kids about science and robotics and things like that and one of the things i really enjoyed before he's even on mythbusters he did an episode of was it? I think it was Discovery that had it. it was a show called Junkyard Wars, where they would build robots and stuff out of things they found in a junkyard that had to do certain tasks. And like they had the team ILM that came and did it. And I was watching a rerun at one point, like, holy crap, that's Granny Mahara. Because it's like, isn't he on Mythbusters? And it was something that had aired before he was even on Mythbusters and stuff like that. And the dude had a gift for science, robotics, sharing that passion with folks. And what I think is really cool is one of the last projects he'd been sharing online of something he'd been working on was he was building a robot of the child, life-size animatronic that he was setting up so they could take to hospitals so that children could go and see the child for themselves and stuff like that. And I was like, that's really cool. And if if that's one of the last projects we're going to remember seeing Grant talking about on his Twitter or one of the big projects he's been involved in, that's a hell of a way to go out because he's doing a project for children that are in the hospital. That, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. Uh, definitely from all the accounts that I read online, big heart. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, he was he's definitely gone too, too soon. I never knew him or met him personally, but he's one of those folks of I watched him so much on TV because I loved Mythbusters and stuff like that. They're like, you don't actually know him, but you feel like you know him. And you're like, man, this yeah. one hurts. I ran into him at LAX one time when I was waiting for a flight. We ended up sitting next to each other in the aircraft place and just having a, a, a just a normal guy conversation. Like you could tell he was like, you know who I am, that sort of thing. And I'm like, <laughs> of course I do. But I, I just, you know, people like that like to have normal conversations. Too. Yeah. So yeah. that was my one meeting with Grant was at LAX waiting for a flight. We sat next to each other for five, 10 minutes. That was it. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up. So for episode number 339 of the official show, I'm Stephen John Drew saying maybe I should dig a little further into that sound clip directory. I'm Chris Farrell reminding you that Elkars is vastly inferior to the new holographic interface. And I'm SP asking you to go review our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser, whichever one you can get to. Did you Sorry. just snort like uh, a pig? I did. I don't know why. Why? <laughs> I'm slightly insulted. <laughs> <laughs>checking out another episode of the official gunageek.com show if you like the show please give us a five-star review in apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on youtube you can always join us for our live recording sessions which stream mondays at 8 45 p.m eastern at www.geeks.live and remember you can find our full back catalog at gunageek.com forward slash show If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.